Hello, and welcome to the Cinemondo Podcast with Kathy, Mark, and Burke talking about movies, horror, sci-fi, unusual, unknown, forgotten, underappreciated, documentary, always interesting. <laughs> we have a very, very special guest here today, very excited, Kirby Dick, documentary filmmaker. He's done award-winning films such as Twist of Faith, Oscar-nominated, um, The Invisible War, still kicking ass on that one. He's did The Hunting Grounds, All I mean... I can't even list them all. We will be listing them as we talk about them. And this film is not rated as one of his more fun ones. That <laughs> yeah, you get comedy. to pull yeah, <laughs> you get to pull back the curtain between the MPAA, and it's like you just want to yeah. We know how that goes. Um, so welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. <laughs> Thanks for taking time out of your day to come out and chat with us for a bit. Oh yeah, no, fantastic. This and is, you have to really bear here. down on the microphone. All right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Will do. I take orders. <laughs> you take direction. Yes. But you know, I have to say right up front, your films are disturbing, which is like haunting. You know, you, you you can't stop thinking about these things because you you are you know it's what they call hard hitting and controversial, and it's the the stuff that you don't really want to hear about. You know, people don't want to. A lot of times, people don't want to hear about that stuff. It's too disturbing. And too ugly to look at, but you show it, and it, and then you realize, wow, we really need to look at this. This is important, it's deeply important stuff. And you know, one of the things people who creative people get asked all the time, where do you get your ideas? Well, I, I mean, we get them from all over the place. Um, I'm going to take this off because I'm, <laughs> no, I'm just hearing a weird echo. Okay. Um, oh. but, um, but um, one of the things in the last. Uh, I don't know, four or five films. I mean, I veered in a different direction. Um, I was was making more films that are uh, more political in nature, uh, more journalistic in nature, looking for issues that haven't been covered before. Um, I think that's, uh, you know, I'm working now with uh, uh, Amy Ziering, where actually she produced many of the recent films and we're actually co-directing now. And uh, I think one of the things that sets us apart from a lot of documentary filmmakers is we look for issues and stories that haven't been covered before. I mean, and, uh, and then once we get there, we do a, you know, a, a year, sometimes two years of journalistic investigation. So what that you know, creates for us is it creates um, audiences are coming to something completely new. It's not something you've read much about in the paper. It's certainly not something you understand. So you're able to lay out the whole landscape for people. And if it's about an issue like rape in the military, where it was just completely off the radar for people, it becomes the reference point for people who've seen this film for years, for really for the rest of their life. If they think about rape in the military, they think about the Invisible War. Well, that gives us an incredible amount of influence, right? Because you go from zero, knowing nothing about it, to, you know, who knows what, 200 miles an hour. <laughs> right. And you're, you not only learn everything, but you also learn what's being covered up, why it's being covered up, the, the crimes and all that. And we try to do it in a really intense and cinematic way. So by the time you're done, you're kind of crawling out of the theater. That's our objective. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you are successful. It works. So, okay. Oh, well, it's, a, it's storytelling, and it's, it's almost like you, here's, your, here's the point. So here's the story, and here's how we're going to prove each point. Whether, and then you'll, you'll, you'll put up a graphic, and then you'll have people talking about it. 
So yeah. after you watch the film, like I, you know, like the Invisible War, I'll talk about that. You just know. I mean, that was a game changer. Leon Panetta saw it two days later. They started trying to do some things. Yeah, yeah, so, and then actually, it um, it it took off from there. I mean, we thought that the uh, military, because it was really critical, obviously, of the way of the military handled rape, we thought they were going to really attack us. Mm. Um, they didn't. Um, I think they were just so stunned. I know it completely caught them off guard. I mean, we, we did everything we could to keep it under the radar. We, I mean, it's even just going into, we were able to get into, into the Pentagon and do all these interviews. And while we were in there, it's, it, being inside the Pentagon is bizarre to begin with because, <laughs> well, you've you got a million Why? reasons. But one of them is there's such shitty food inside. There. Right. There's, there is, it is like you go to the worst mall with the first, McDonald's, and you're thinking, these are the people that are protecting us and they're not even eating well. Right. You know? And these are, I mean, it's not just troops, which of course should be fed well, yeah. maybe even better than generals, but you expect the generals to be fed well. But while we were in there, you know, the uh, our minder, who was really nice, you know, if we went to the bathroom, she walked us all the way to the bathroom and back, <laughs> mm-hmm. but she was really nice. She said, you're only the second independent documentary team that's ever been in here. So oh. she's been working it's like in the Pentagon. Years. That's yeah. yeah. And um, who was the first? I don't know. I should have asked. <laughs> I don't know. I don't I think Michael Moore the last though. Like Frank that. Capra or something. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well they did think they did think um, and this is a tribute to my uh, you know Amy Ziering was the producer at that. I mean she was very good at without lying or anything like that, <laughs> giving them the impression that this was, you know, we were really supportive and wanted to understand the efforts that the military was doing with this issue. And we did. Of course, we knew they were doing nothing. Right. And so uh, they got in there and, and we had, you know, two and three star generals, admirals, four or five or six. They were there ready to lay out, uh, talk about how good it was. They were totally blindsided by, you know, First of all, we had more information than they did. Mm-hmm. And that's a sad statement about them. Yeah, that's terrible. But secondly, they had never expected it, you know, as sort of an aggressive... I mean, we were friendly, but we said, okay, no, that's not true, and here's why. What do you say to that? And they, they were just... You were I mean, pre- you saw it. You, you were prepared. Yes. They weren't. Like, uh, yeah. uh, um, was her name Kate Whitley? Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, she was, you know... Giving the the company spin, you know the mill, exactly. the spin, and you were just trying to. And her her answers to to your, some of your questions were, I really don't know. Yeah, and it's like, know. oh my god, it's really? This, you're at the top of the chain. Yeah, and you don't know. <laughs> you this. Don't know. Yeah. thank you, thank you for saying that. And her, we can use that. And, yeah, and her <laughs> that looks great on film. That's her right. replacement was much more of sort of a military. It seemed like more right. of a button down, and and she was just you know spouting off with with the company exactly thing. So yeah. it's like so obvious. Yeah. You know. yeah, yeah. But you said earlier that you do two, sometimes two years of research. That's yeah. that's before you start shooting anything. No, no, no. We we uh, we actually start shooting as soon as we have material. We start editing. We continue researching. We're doing research all the and shooting all the way up to the end. I mean, I've actually shot in early January for uh, a film that's premiering at Sundance three days, three weeks later. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah. No, we, we do it. I mean, the amount of research we do is, you know, I would say equivalent to any, the, you know, any, the most major investigations of any journalistic outlet. I mean, mm. we have a really great uh, journalist who sort of leads our team, Amy Hurdy, who's able to get interviews the New York Times can't get. I mean, she's, wow. I mean, she is interesting. She, she was recently in our office and gave a training about how she does it. She has all these techniques to get huh. people to talk. It's like, it's so... 
Yeah. I want to take so. that training. How much does it cost? <laughs> She's well, that's very a, friendly. You probably call her up. She'll, <laughs> that's a can huge I just part get information of it. Out of you. Oh yeah, that's right. Oh, maybe I don't want a doctor. That's a huge part of it. I mean, a huge part of documentary filmmaking is the rapport you have with your subjects oh, yeah. and yeah, getting yeah. getting them to tell you things. It's like pulling things out of them. We were Kathy and I were the subjects of partially yeah. subjects of a documentary mm-hmm. series at one point, and we we were subjected to that. You know, we were in these situations where. We were being interviewed, and I realized I had tears welling up, and I was opening my heart to the yeah. to a camera, you know. Yeah. And afterwards, I, you know, I think I had cold sweats and couldn't sleep for a while. What did I say the right thing? What did I say? What did I? I know you have no control over yeah. the material. Right. Like I can imagine if you're doing interviews with people at the Pentagon, yeah, that right. they're kind of when you catch them off guard, and they're like. Uh, homina, homina. And then yeah. later they're like, oh, is this going to be bad? Yeah. Like, oh, no. But, you know, you bring up a very good point because it's all about the relationship between mm-hmm. filmmaker and subject. In fact, that's, you know, I, I can't come out of, um, you know, art. I went to Cal Arts. And to me, that, that sort of high wire relationship between filmmaker and subject, because, you know, as filmmakers, we completely depend on you. And, yeah. and, that, and it's really thrilling for me because every time you go into it, you. You go in, you know, you find a subject like yourselves who are really deeply invested in something, no more than you do, sort of have to take you into the story, guide you, not only just cinematically, but just the content and everything like that. And it's a very intimate and profound collaboration. And that's initially why I got into it. And it's, it's continues to be every film. It's like, it's, it's almost sacred in a way. Yeah. Yeah. But you can't influence, you can't, uh, observe or measure the particle or you alter it you know you you have to sort of try to get what you what what you can without any influence from you right (laughs) (laughs) no (laughs) that's what they tell me but but, no 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 go ahead no i'm just saying you're like um no i'm gonna think one thing joe berlinger once told us was like once you have a camera in the room That changes everything. So you try and get as close to the truth as you can, but you're still, you know, you've changed reality by just being there. So. Completely, completely. Yeah. And what we try to do, I mean, we try to give the, the truth, but no one has a monopoly on the truth, right? Yeah. But what we try to, it's actually by doing an incredible amount of research, by talking to a lot of people, by really thinking it through, we can get kind of a approximation of it, right? Mm. Um but no, I mean the, the, this this concept of the purity of you know not altering things is is so silly. I mean, yeah. the moment you walk in the, the moment you get on the phone with somebody, it's already altered. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was trying to get you to say by asking you that question. <laughs> right. It, well, see that trick? He's been taking the last training. <laughs> exactly the, what I wanted you to say. Some of the intimacy. I'll, I'll, we'll keep talking about Invisible War. I mean, it seems like they've. It seems to me like at least some of the they've sort of forgotten not not that not the interviews, but sort of like uh, I forgot the her victims? name now. Uh, Kaylee mm. Corey Corey sorry right. Corey and her husband some of that relationship right. in the kitchen felt like, you know you weren't there right like right. maybe they were just so comfortable with you that they that this was an emotional experience that they're going through that really didn't matter they got they sort of forgot about you Did right you get that, that sense that's true I mean yeah. uh, you know we we were with them for some time. Um, and yes, there is that. And um, likewise, you know, in the interviews, too. I mean, I think one of the things that I think, I mean, people, you know, I mean, verite filmmaking is fascinating. We love it, you know, no question. But oddly enough, doing doing things around interviews is actually more challenging. It's harder to get the verite. 
it's in some ways harder to get the verite, but it's actually harder to make the interview work. And when you do, it's, you know, and again, I just want to give a shout out to Amy Ziering, who does the interviews for on nearly all the interviews for our films. And uh, I mean, you know, she develops this um, sort of intimacy and, you know, just it's so personal that there's this bubble that the two of them are in. And it's really mm-hmm. interesting to watch. And um and, if, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, sexual assault survivors, I mean, people who may never have spoken for the first, you know, this may be the first time they've spoken to anybody other right. than maybe one person, right? Right. You know, you're you're going into some really deep pain and trauma. And so you you want them to share that because the reason we don't know about it is people are too afraid to talk. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you we want to do it in such a way that it doesn't re-traumatize them. Yeah. And so... I, you know, I think those interviews in the Invisible War were, you know, were some of the most amazing interviews in the last 25 years. I agree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they are just, I mean, they're heartfelt. You feel the pain and, yeah. you know, you watch that film and you just, you just, you shake your head like, how can this continue to yeah. happen? You, yeah. know? you feel like you're in the moment with them. Like when that movie is over, I felt like I knew the people. I was still worried about them. I, yeah. I'm still wondering what hap- what's happening with them, you know. Yeah. So you really, that, that sort of bringing them out on camera to make you feel like you kind of know them and create a connection is really amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, well, again, it's, you know, it's, it's, what's interesting is it's, uh, you kind of go through it twice. You go through it in the moment of making the film, which could be over, you know, years. Uh, I mean, we tend to make things a little faster than a lot of filmmakers. So it's probably a couple of years, but then you go through it again in the editing room. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and it's, and there's, they're, they're different, right? I mean, there's the real person and then there's the character because, Whoever you see on, you know, in a film, it's not the whole person. It's, it's an aspect of the yeah. person, and it's part of storytelling to choose what aspect you want to kind of refine and put forward, right? But it's still equally personal as a filmmaker. You're, you know, the experience you're having, we're having too, you know, mm-hmm. as we watch it. So it's, it's like reliving it. And that was that happened. You know, I made this film, Sick: The Life and Death of Bob Flanagan. Super masochist mm-hmm. <laughs> title, yeah. uh, which is super. About friend, which is about a friend of mine. I made it in the nineties. Is a, a good friend of mine who was um, had cystic fibrosis. He was born cystic fibrosis. Very incredible artist. I mean, he had three mm. articles in Art Forum when he died. Um, he was a comedian, you know, performance artist, and he was a very extreme masochist. Mm. And his films were all about death and illness and you know, a lot of other things. Just as an aside, I mean, I I went to him and his partner, Sherry Rose, and I said, I'd love to make a film about you. And he said, absolutely, I only ask one thing. You have to keep filming all the way through my death. Mm-hmm. Which, to me, wow. as a filmmaker, was like such a gift. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? It's like, okay, yeah. you're, you're all in. Yeah. Yeah. You are yeah, all in. What else can you give someone? You know? Right, yeah. exactly. Wow. So the reason I'm, I'm bringing up this, this story is that, so I had the whole experience of making the film with him again. Then he died, and you know, everybody was grieving. But I, I wasn't. He was, I had all this footage, and I was still oh. living with him. And That's it was true. And the second time. That's so true. it's, I mean, I'm just saying, these are, the, I mean, these are the reasons I think a lot of documentary filmmakers are kind of thrilled to be doing what they do. Because, you know, like I said, it's the intimacy of that, you know, collaboration, really, with the subjects. And then it's an intimacy with this, you know, virtual character again. So you, it's intense. Oh. Well, that film was 
that was a pretty devastating film too. I, I, disturbing, but it was actually pretty beautiful. I mean, it was. I, I remember watching it and like, oh, it's so hard to watch. And some some segments of it are really hard to watch. But after it was over, my impression was I really love this guy, and I understand inspiring. why he was why he was like that mm-hmm. and why he did that. And yeah. you know, he was wanting to stay in control and all these yeah. things. Yeah. And it was it was very well told in the film. His yeah. his life, his story. Yeah, it was really, and you know, you see somebody like that going through so much pain mm-hmm. all the time, like every day. Yet he was so positive, like, and he did all these really extreme things, but he seemed like such a likable, pretty happy guy most of the time. He's still ambitious, relatively. But I mean, considering <laughs> what he was dealing with, it was it was nice to see someone pushing through and having. He wasn't just a masochist because oh, I just want to do this weird stuff. He had a fully formed idea about yeah. why, which yeah. I really appreciate that. Well, I mean, I think, you know, SM is, I think a lot of people involved in SM. I mean, I'm not, but I think, (laughs) but no, I think a lot of people have really thought it through and it's, it is kind of a a project, you know, a a passion, um, Mm -hmm. you know, a a practice, you know, just like art or something like that. It's, it's, I mean, you know, it's a philosophy. So uh, I don't, I, I don't think, I mean, it's funny you say that because I don't think most people think, oh, yeah, no, masochist. I, I think maybe I'll do that instead of going, you know, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. I'm going to try this yeah. now. I'll, I'll just hit my thumb. Or this looks fun. <laughs> yeah. Let's try it. I think you, yeah. you either are or you aren't. Yeah, you're almost you born that way. you have to get in a state of mind, too, yeah. I think. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, some people just think they don't really know what that is. They think of you know Jack Nicholson and a little shop of horrors, right? You know, and they, that's, that's always what I think. Yeah. Of. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <That's not> <laughs> so you did... Um, Hunting Grounds, which was about college rape. You did right. the uh, Visible War, which is military rape, and then right. you did Twist of Faith, right. which is, you know, I guess what would you call it? Religious abuse. Rape. Well, no, yeah, it's priest abuse. Right, of, priest of abuse. Children. Really so, on, right? did you find it a difference? I mean, you had a few male, vic- you know, victims right. in Visible War. Was it different approaching this kind of um, sexual abuse versus Invisible War and Hunting Grounds? You focused on one person pretty much. So. Um, uh, yeah, in uh, I mean, we had some other people, but yeah, yeah. in in uh, Twist of Faith, we focused on this uh, one. He was he was now in his thirties, but he right. had been abused when he was a young teenager, um, and he was in Toledo, Ohio, which was sort of you know was sort of still run by this diocese. So there was mm-hmm. this kind of creepy control thing mm-hmm. happening. And uh, he was a firefighter. He had a family. He, he came across as this, and he was kind of this mm-hmm. all-American dude, right? Sweet, but mm-hmm. an all-American dude. And so that's one of the reasons we chose him, because everybody thinks, oh, you know, people have this image of yeah. people are abused. They don't want to think about him, really. And yeah. oftentimes they're incredible. If, if, if they're talking to you, they're probably incredibly strong, because mm. they've suffered this trauma and are still coming forward. So right. that's kind of why we chose him, is we wanted to do it. But it's an interesting question. Um, how is it different? Um, people were talking about it even less then. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we came out right after, you know, like a year or so after the Boston Globe. We started working on that when the Boston Globe, you know, did that amazing story on right. you know, sexual abuse mm-hmm. in the Boston diocese. And what what we were trying to do with that film was people, uh, you know, the Boston Globe kind of established that this was happening, right? And... Um, and that was amazing, um, but I don't think people understood what it, what it was like to be a, a survivor of that, right? Because 
you know, they had stories, but there was all the, the, the Boston Globe stories. I mean, they did present, you know, profiles of these people, but it was all pointed toward what was being covered up, how yeah. the diocese. Right. It was know, about the cover up more than the actual yeah. it, crime. It, it, in rich, a way. you know, yeah. is, is horrible. And I, what I wanted to do was convey the experience of, of what people have gone through. And I, I think that was really one of the first times that I think, you know, this country got a chance to see what a survivor experience was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sure there were, you know, there have been films before, but I think this being on HBO and everything, I think it really had an impact. Yeah. And I think, too, it was it was very touching and, and interesting to see. Like, he didn't forsake the church or his faith right. at all. That was what was so interesting. He had this horrible right. experience. He sees the cover-up. He sees, I mean, it's so corrupt. Yet he, what was so touching to see is his struggle with like how to reconcile his deep faith with what has happened to him, and that seeing that on film, it was just heartbreaking to watch him because he, like you say, he's so he's a firefighter, he's this normal guy, right. and yet you see this struggle happening, and it's amazing you could see that actually on film happening. It was really really cool. Yeah, no, it's it's really interesting um, that so many of these people who come forward come forward because they believe in the institution that's betrayed them and they want right. to change it. It's so weird, and yeah. that certainly happened. I mean, if in the Invisible War, people were wearing, you know. Yep. <laughs> U.S. Coast Guard. I mean, this is the this yeah. is the organization that totally fucked them over. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they were all these people were really um, were really proud of having served. And uh, and I you know I I want to kind of give them credit for the fact that they were early on saying, look, I don't want this to be just an anti-military film. Right. I'm, I'm I'm proud of it. And and I mean, we going in. I think we were oriented that way, but that that really helped because what 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 happened with that film is the film <clears throat> was oddly enough pro-military, even though it critiqued <laughs> yeah. you know what the military did. It didn't say everything. It said that the military is can be in many ways a positive experience, mm-hmm. which I think is important for people to understand. And also the idea of serving your country. Yeah. That to me, I mean, I, you know, that was incredible. But these people said, no, I'm doing this to serve my country. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, you, you think cynically, no, that's, there's something, but no, they really were. Yeah. And that's, well, and you know, the that's camaraderie incredible. of, you know, when you're with your brothers and sisters doing whatever you're doing, I mean, that's a bond that's like a, a closer than a familial yeah. bond in many mm-hmm. ways. Oh, so yeah. that, that comes across very strong. No, you know, it's really interesting because, you know, you, you think, okay, I'm, I'm relatively experienced, I'm, I'm social, I understand social dynamics. I've never seen social dynamics like people who are in the, in the military and you know the, the the codes that are shooting back and forth. Everything is shooting much faster. Right. You know, you think you're like you can move fast. Oh God, no! You can barely keep yeah. up with it, because why? They're in this kind of hot house situation, and there's all kinds of shit going on all the time that's communicating. Yeah. Right. Right. And I didn't realize it until I saw it. And I said, "Wow, that's a ride. You're in that social situation." That is intense. You yeah. Know? It's like maybe a bunch of people in theater, right? How yeah. intense that yeah. is. Yeah. It's. It's an intense high in many ways. Yeah, yeah. I think so. and that so camaraderie, like you yeah, said. Yeah, and for for a lot of these women, that that betrayal of that yeah, exactly. is, is just that's what's crushing, and it's not something right. you could ever get over right. because you're just betrayed. Exactly. You know, so exactly. it was incredibly touching. And then you know the same thing with uh, the the young women in the hunting ground. You know, they you know were still wearing you know their school sweaters, you know, or sweatshirts, you know, um, you know which. 
I would never do, right? But no, no we're, I'm, I, you know, I loved that school. I mm-hmm. love that school. Well, it was interesting because the women in um, hunting grounds, it seems like a lot of them would just disappear. Like they would leave school and the parents would know why and they would come home and they would just be different. And yeah. it was so sad to see this, like they go to college, all their bright futures, and all of a sudden they're just gone. And yeah. it's like, well, what happened? And a lot of them never seem to want to talk about it. They mm-hmm. just, and then you wonder, like, how many of them are just out there suffering and not getting any kind of justice because they just can't face it? It's really sad. Yeah. No, I mean, millions is the answer yeah. to that question. Yeah. 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 And then, you know, they don't want to let down their parents, right? I mean, just right. think about right. that. Yeah. That they can't, I mean, sometimes the parents don't even believe them. And that's even yeah. more horrible. Yeah. yeah. But lots of time, they don't want to destroy their parents. They don't want to have their parents experience this. Yes. So they keep it from their parents. And how, yeah. how tragic is that? Yeah. Yeah. The one person they would go to, they don't want to hurt. Yeah. And they feel like, I, I feel like sometimes they go there and they go to the party and, you know, they're not going to tell their parents to go into these college right. parties and they right. stay out too late and they drink too much. And then, of course, they feel like, well, it was my fault. Right. I right. did this. Right. I'm going to go home. I can't admit to my parents. It's too shameful. So they just kind of pretend like, oh, I just didn't want to go to college anymore. Yeah. It's yeah, really it might sad. even just be embarrassed enough about the fact that they were drinking. You know, I, yeah. I mean, I've exactly. known a lot of people who were like, I can't, yeah, I can't tell my parents that right. I drink. Right. You know, let that's, alone like no way. get victimized while you're drunk. Yeah, you know, then right. your parents would be like, I told you. Yeah, or, so, or maybe yeah. not. Though, I mean, that's the thing. That's yeah. what they think. They think it. Yeah. yeah. See, it's yeah. probably right. not going to happen that way. Well, it, I think some yes, some, some no, yes, but yeah, you true. still have to. I mean. Obviously, it's up to every survivor to decide what yeah. they want to do, but you know, support is so important. Yeah, so yeah. important. And that's what's important about the films that you make. I think is the fact that it exposes this, and it and it, I imagine, encourages people or makes you know someone who has been through that probably is drawn towards seeing your film. Who someone who yeah. may not have spoken up about it, and that may give them courage. Well, uh, yeah, no, I mean, that was one of the reasons we made the film, because, uh, I mean, there's sort of an interesting lineage uh, from sort of the the Invisible War to Me Too, which is, you know, we started the Invisible War, there were these, you know, a a couple of dozen really courageous, you know, men and women of really of all ages who were finally beginning to talk, talk about it, and they were talking about it in the film. And what was different about the Invisible War is up until then, there'd been reporting like, well, maybe this person was raped here or that person was raped there. But there wasn't really a major, certainly not a film, but even very few in even any of the media, much major analysis that this was systemic. Mm. And Mm. I think the group of people speaking like that really helped change that. And then what happened was, is we started taking that film around to college campuses, right? And Mm. And we had people coming up to us and saying, you know, this happens here. We started getting letters, emails. you got to do something on this. And we weren't even thinking about it. It's like, okay, we've done this film. You know, we're done. We're on to something. We were on to something else. And so (laughs) we just realized how important it was to make. And, of course, I mean, these young women activists were, you know, this was just incredible as, you know, film subjects, too. So we made that. And then... Um, what happened was, you know, in the hunting ground, we were able to get Lady Gaga to sing the closing song, um, and um, the film, um, and the song was nominated for an Oscar. Mm. So she performed it Love at that. the Oscars mm-hmm. and with fifty survivors on yes. stage. Wow, that's amazing! And, I remember that. And the way that that's happened right. was, 
Uh, I think she, she I, I'm, again, my producer said, well, um, I think Lady Gaga said, I think our manager, who's very cool, said, well, we want like five survivors. And, and Amy said, no, we're doing 50. <laughs> no way. We're doing 50 or we're not doing it. <laughs> nice. Yes. Like, There's so, 50. But yeah. that, that, blew away this, that, that blew away the auditorium. I mean, yeah. that really was a set sure. piece. I mean, yeah. we were downstage. There were actors and actresses crying all around wow. us, yeah. you, know, yeah, you know, standing up applying. Because what are they seeing? They're seeing these young women up there talking about something that probably happened to many, if not most, yes. of in the audience yeah, true. who yeah. never spoke about it. That's true. And we think what happened there was that started movement in Hollywood mm. toward Me Too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it yeah. also set... Uh, kind of set, opened up the gates for the New Yorker and the New York Times to say, "Hey, mm. we can cover it from this angle, right? Yeah. Look, look at this film and how you know massive yeah. it's been, you know, covered." And so, I mean, obviously, Me Too has come from a lot of different places, but I, I think this is a, a hugely important thing. And yeah. I, and it's interesting. Yeah. I, so <laughs> this is something I do want to talk about. Is, <laughs> well, um, yeah, is. Um, you know, there's been recently a couple of books come out by, you know, New York Times reporters and other people mm -hmm. about, you know, sort of the history of Me Too and stuff like that. The, you know, the Invisible War and the Honey Ground aren't covered at all. Mm. Mm. Now, why is that? Well, because the people who take those first baby steps always get ignored. That's true. We, yeah, it's always it's it's never good to be first. It's always right. good to be second. Right. But I'm I'm afflicted by the desire to be first. Right. So I don't give a It's fuck. a good it's a good affliction, believe me. Yeah. yeah. Hey, if you're getting a ball rolling, that's all that's all well and good. I think the right people know. Uh, I, well, his, case, history. I don't know. We'll we'll yeah. see. But I also think it has to do with there's an East Coast bias, right? Yes. There's yeah. this, Yes. You know, these if it's the, the Brahmins of, yeah. you know, yeah. and, the, you know, they get all the, they deserve all the credit. I yeah. mean, we're, we're, it's amazing yeah. that that, you know, was the thing that kickstarted it. But it's also, they're reporters writing about the work of reporters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, of course, you know. Yeah. You should make a movie about yourself. <laughs> well, it's like I'd like to see you be interviewed by. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Well, I was in one. This film is not yet rated, and um, yeah, that was. Oh, that's true. Yeah, let's talk about that one. <laughs> that's the film about the the ratings system for yeah. for. What made you decide to take on the ratings board? I'd had it in for them for a long time. I mean, as most filmmakers, I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Oh yeah. Seriously. Well, I, I had no idea that this is how it was done. Right. Isn't that yeah. weird? Yeah. Oh. What the MPA. You think it's this big official thing? Yeah. yeah. Oh, I didn't either. It's yeah. So tell us about that. It's like the it's like the Wizard of Oz. <laughs> yeah. Right? Completely. Yeah. It's like the man behind the curtain is just this little guy. Yeah. No. I mean, it's you know what the MPAA says is it's. It's a you know it's a body of of parents and they kind of let you think that there is a representative body from you know maybe it's you know from all around the world and all that oh no not at all it's people all live in pretty much the valley right they <laughs> they get hired because a friend of theirs is working there yeah. right um, they are totally controlled by the chair of that committee who is an MPAA exec who can fire them at any time now let's just say you've been working as a MPA raider for 10 years, that's on your resume, and you get fired. 
You can go out and get another writing job. <laughs> right. Yeah. You're dead. So and no one even knows what that draw means. Like, what is it? What do you yeah. do? Right. Well, uh, how do you do it? <laughs> what kind of training do you have? I watch well, movies. Yeah. That's yeah. the answer. That's, that's yeah. what the answer is. So they watch Amazing. like three films and they, they vote on whether there's, you know, they had the, I guess there's only one real rule. I'm trying to remember it is you can't say, Fuck you can't twice say fuck twice. In that'll, a PG that'll, thirteen, that, right? That'll no. get you an R. But you can say fuck once. You can say <laughs> PG thirteen. That's true. Right. I didn't know what the other other other, other laws or rules seem arbitrary to me. Totally arbitrary. Yeah. It's it's if you know if you are a major director or of course if you're the studio you're hiring these people. You it's no surprise that you get the ratings that you want. Rarely do studio films get you know the ratings they don't want. And of course violence. You yeah. can do whatever you want at PG thirteen. Oh, yeah. It makes no difference, you know. <laughs> but um, but you know you have a little bit of uh, of sexuality, show a breast, and you can get an R rating. That's changed slightly, but it's still. I mean, it's still a form of censorship. It's still yeah. completely a form of censorship. Oh, yeah. Where even after the film came out, the MPAA said, "Oh no, no, we're changing these things. We're doing we're doing this. We're doing that." They didn't do shit. They didn't yeah. do what they said they were going to do. In in, in they don't have to. They, they don't run, have to. They own the who's business. looking at them? Who's who's overseeing it? Nobody. Right. And then you know what happened was is I, I had this and naturally okay fine we're going to do something with this we're going to rabble rouse we're going to so I went to the an organization you know fine film independent it's it's the biggest uh, independent film organization it puts on the Spirit Awards I was one of the founders of this organization I'd been out of it for a while so I knew all these people I said okay. Let's get together with them. Let's get together with its sister organization, the IFP in New York. And we're going to, um, you know, we're going to really put pressure and really finally change this. They were too much. Even the independent film organizations, you know, they, they have these award ceremonies and who buys all the tables? The studios. Yes. Right. right. So exactly. they kept, it was weird. They kept, they kept putting me off and doing this. And then I would, you know, I'd go behind the scenes and get a committee together and so to the, the people who did support me was the Independent Documentary Association, the IDA, the documentary filmmakers, and women in film. Uh. Those are the sides like, so that's the real, that's the real. The studios, you know, you know it's everything. You know, like yeah. the package deals with agents and stuff, they just, they, their tendrils and are into every oh, so. bit of the business to the yeah. point where it's just ruining, yeah. the, uh, you oh, know, yeah. Hollywood oh, yeah. filmmaking is. Yeah, well, it's ruined we, independent film. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. I think yeah. independent film, I mean, that's. Yeah. You know, I had a chance to, to go into, you know, uh, you know, scripted filmmaking and it was, uh, you know, late 90s. And I just looked, looked around and I thought, I see this, I see it because I'm not going to make a studio film. That's never going to happen. Um, I thought, you know, I see end of the independent movement dying. I watched it very closely for 20 years and I, I, it's dying. And I see documentaries starting to rise <clears throat> and I have control of documentary because nobody... I mean, nobody really knows how it's made. Right. You know. <laughs> now they do. But, well, you know, 20 years ago, it was like true. a big mystery. Well, and also, like, when you talk um, about the studio interference, well, the ratings themselves are also translate to dollars. It's exactly. like when you get the R rating, you're going to make a little less money than yeah. if it was PG-13 or PG. So everyone's trying to wrangle this rating yeah. that will make them the most money. Like, they always talk about, oh, they're releasing a horror movie with an R rating that's right. not going to make any money because the kids can't go see it. And it's... Right. It's creepy to think there is that weird partnership, even though there should not be a partnership. Right. So no. it's just all this financial like hand dealing in the background. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. But how does that work? So there's an R-rated, you know, big budget film, and they say we want to make it PG-13. Is it? Do they? Do the, does the studio supposedly go to the ratings board and say what do we do to? 
cut this down to a piece? I mean, no. or is it just sort of like doesn't matter? They can't tell them, right? They can't oh, tell them what to cut. Oh, are you kidding me? No. The studios have a direct connection with these people, <laughs> yeah. a back behind, you know, a backdoor connection all the time. They 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 bring in, um, I, I mean, you know, big directors. Um, to you know, to, to me, you know, and, and these people are so starstruck because yeah. what they see all the time is movies. I mean, they do; they must love movies, right? So <laughs> when a director comes in, it's like, oh my god, right. you know. So they'll do that. They'll have that kind of access. Whereas independent filmmakers have no clue. Yeah, wow. they have no clue even how it works. Um, so yeah, no, they they have complete manipulation over it. How does that translate into the streaming platform now? Because it feels like are they uh, if you're going to do something on Netflix, is the rating thing as important for streaming as it is for theatrical it's not right it's it's, i mean that's one of the good things you know i mean there's many good things about streaming but that's you know that the the studios have i mean now i think now the issue is less censorship of sex and even you know uh you know sexual orientation and things like that and and more around violence and they and smoking too you know i mean they want to just protect you know, they don't want the reason they set it up. Um, the reason they decided to control it is they didn't want the government coming in, which right. it works. Much, I just I'm just saying it That's works true. much better with the government in, in Europe. There's <laughs> yeah. still a form of censorship. <laughs> you know, you, you have this tension, but at least it's not a private corporation, which I think we're learning Many it, most of the time it's better to have the government involved than a corporate. I can't believe you're saying that. That's well, that's what? no, that's yeah. the myth that they plan. But right. think about yeah. it. I mean, at least, mm-hmm. at least it's gonna, going to be more transparent. Yeah. I mean, just yeah. okay. We have that's Trump true. right now. This is a maybe we don't want Trump running for anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Let's please not get the government involved yeah. for a few more years. Yeah, let's wait a right. bit. Yeah. <laughs> like, please no. Yeah, but you're right about that. That's but there, true. I worked in television for many years, and we always had these things about what you can and can't show on television. Right. And some of them were kind of hard to understand. But then you think about it, and you're like, oh, I guess, I don't know. Like, one of them was, um, I did do graphics and things. And right. I came up with an idea, and I showed him. It has a, you know, it has a gun sight. It was like a sniper kind of thing. It has a gun sight appearing, right. like in the yeah. movie, the conversation. Right. I think yes, has yes. the sight going over somebody's yeah. head, yeah. and then moving to another person. And right. they were like, "We cannot show that on right. television. We can't do the gun sight thing, the right. sniper." Right. Yeah. And I was like, "What? You show people getting shot constantly on this show, <laughs> right. but no, you can't no show what you see through the scope." And they're like, "No, that triggers. That's a trigger. It, that like, image." No pun intended. Shot, it's it's, yeah, it's so. It's, not, it's just like oh God. It's so. But then you, you know, smoking and yeah. um, children doing things. There was a there was a thing for a while where you can't show somebody pointing a gun at someone, and you can see this in older shows. I think maybe seventies, eighties, oh, or whatever. Mm-hmm. When somebody would put a gun on someone, they would be like this. Be off. You know, it'd be like off right. a foot to the right of them. You know, or yeah. a foot to the left, and they'd set the camera up so that you couldn't really tell where they were aiming it, but you couldn't. But you had to be able to argue. Okay, wasn't the actor wasn't really aiming the prop gun at the other actor? <laughs> well, it's like that with marketing too. It's the same thing. We can't show guns pointing on posters and TV marketing. You can't even show guns. I right. mean, it's very rare you get a gun to pass through the networks. You can't show smoking. A lot of networks will not even show alcohol. Yeah. So you're like, what are we protecting people from? I mean, I, I like that they're not glamorizing smoking or drinking, but you know, when you, when you're trying to show, when you're advertising a film or a TV show that's super violent yeah. and there's guns and it's about spies 
it's really hard to make, get that across to people that show a gun in it. Right. So it's like these weird sort of arbitrary like policies more than rules. And yeah. recently, you know, you remember the shooting in the theater by the yeah. the guy who was fantasizing that he was the Joker. Oh boy. And the new Joker movie is coming right. out. Yeah. And yeah. there there's been all these announcements about um, you know, being prepared for violence in mm-hmm. the theaters and Right. It's almost like I feel like when I heard that I thought, oh, great, nice way to encourage that. Right? No, it's yeah. it's interesting. I, you know, it's funny when you talk about guns. I've I I, I won't, probably will never I probably will never do it, but I've always kind of wanted to make a film about the history of the gun in cinema. That's interesting. Because, mm-hmm. You know, uh, I mean, one of the things you know, the way that you know, cops always come in like this. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> I I wonder how much. You know, law enforcement has been influ- influenced by the way oh, yeah. they see it in film. It's interesting. Or this sort of sideways yeah, this sideways thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, well, I think, I don't know. Well, it used to be, you know, it used to be a lot of this stuff. You know, the gun was yeah. like, you know, they, they were shooting yeah. it. I'll let of, you know, have it. And it's like, you like you're slinging the bullet <laughs> out of like, the gun. Is that was so strange. <laughs> well, I've worked with weapons and films as a prop person for, wow. you know, 20 something years. And so it is interesting the fact well, that. We'll interview you. Well, yeah, there you go. You've got your first interview. <laughs> here we go. The audio's good here. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's turn um, the cam. <laughs> no, what's interesting, what was always interesting to me was the the way people, we, a lot of times what I would do would be, um, I would have a line of background extras at the back of the truck, and they would come, they'd already been to wardrobe, so they were all dressed like military or cops or whatever, and they would come to me, and I would, being the prop person, would give them their firearms, and they're usually... If they don't draw them, it's sometimes even a rubber gun in the holster for background. Right. right. But you you hand a background extra a firearm, and suddenly they <laughs> the are, chest puffs out. Right? Yeah, the chest puffs out. And it's like, Whoa, yeah, yeah, boy. And there and it's like we had to do this thing where it's like if you play with your gun, if you take a selfie of yourself with your gun, if you start trying to play, you know, gangster Scarface or whatever. <laughs> Um, we take the gun back, and w- no, we had to take licenses. You know, you have to take wow. drivers because people steal them. People steal <laughs> okay. the prop guns. Wow. And the other thing was, if you brag about your own guns, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> oh. because some people would get the prop gun and they were like, "Well, this is not accurate. My oh. my, you know, whatever four fifty seven <laughs> uh, Desert Eagle doesn't have the blah blah blah." And People change when you give them firearms. That's really interesting. Yeah. A fake firearm. A fake one, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, that's and really if they're dressed up like a cop or if they're dressed up like a military for background, just background extra guy. Well, we do Day photo player. shoots for with actors, and a lot of yeah. them don't know how to pose. Like right. They're kind of stat, you know, they're, they're awkward because they're not in character. And you'll give them a gun. I'll just give them the props. So we give them a gun, like, you know, a little fake gun. It's the same thing. They come to life. Right. Like, I remember shooting, you know, Kiefer Sutherland, 24. I mean, yeah. The guy has a gun like nine, 24-7 on there. Right. So he's sort of po- trying to pose, and he, you know he's okay, but we're like, here, here, why don't you try posing with this? He's like jumping around, yeah. and he's pulling the gun up, and he's swinging. All of a sudden, he's just like alive and in character, and it's like he, it's like he needed the prop to bring him to that. You know, it was just so it's, weird how guns can affect people mentally. It's a talisman. You know, it's one yeah. of those, what we always called in props was, it's like yeah. magic. It's a magical talisman right. that you hand somebody. There's other things, too, besides weapons that you yeah. can give a character and suddenly they transform. You yeah, know, they like want to have it in their head. What's a that? Cro- a cross? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, no, I'm just wondering. What yeah, else? Yeah. Oh, certain kinds of wardrobe. You know, if you put somebody in a, in a certain kind of a dirty, you know, mm-hmm. lousy, homeless kind of costume oh, and right. you put dirt on them, suddenly they have this attitude, you right. know. Or if you give somebody, I can't 
think of any really great examples right now, but if you give someone a cigarette or, you know, you're talking about cigarettes or alcohol, if somebody's sitting at a table in a scene and you put the alcohol in front of them, there's like, you know, they'll take the the cup in their hand and they're, they're like, suddenly they're, <laughs> right. suddenly they're in a smoky nightclub and it's, you know, 3 a.m. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's interesting how props, wardrobe, yeah. especially anything that obscures your face, like some sort of, you know, prosthetic mask right. kind yeah. of thing. Turn somebody into a werewolf, you know, make put them yeah. a werewolf, and they're they're a werewolf. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. So next time you do interviews, you can just hand someone a gun, <laughs> and you'll see them come to life. <laughs> we had to do a lot of training to be able to be safe with the guns because you know you've heard about the crow and right. you know Brandon Lee and all. After that happened, there, the security with firearms on sets became mm. you know really sure. a lot more of a big deal. So we had to really keep everything locked up, and even the rubber guns, even the really mm-hmm. phony-looking, cheesy, fake guns. And they always make sure they show everyone. Like, they'll bring a gun even to a photo shoot, and you'll need the gun for the prop. And they every time, even though you just used that gun and the last guy, they bring it over. Yeah. They show it to everyone. They open it. They you know they pull the cartridge out or whatever they're showing. They show everyone in the circle again, even though it was five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. It's like this constant repeat. It's just well, that's so, good. Well, that's yeah, good. it's really good. Yeah, yeah. I yeah, mean, it's really yes. good. So we need safety. Yes. So how did you? So we'll shift gears now. Speaking. <laughs> so we guns. talk about guns. Let's talk about injuries. Uh, so, so you did uh, Bleeding Edge, yeah, which was your latest film on Netflix, right? So, um, about uh, what would you call it? medical device yeah, implants? It's about uh, the medical device industry and Ooh. about how the FDA, the lack of regulation. See, that was shocking to me because yes. the FDA is mm-hmm. so much like they, you, you know, people are going to Canada to get drugs because the right. FDA is too harsh. And yet here is a thing where they don't even look at it? I mean, yeah. I was shocked by that. Well, they have this really lax regulation for most uh, medical devices. It, the, the, this is what got us into it when we heard this. It was like most medical devices, even most devices that are implanted in you, don't have to be tested in humans first. It's amazing. Mm. Yeah. I mean, the vast majority. And secondly... Most doctors who implant these devices don't know that they're not tested in humans. Yeah. Well, I mean, right. we have yet to really meet a doctor who does know, who hasn't studied, you know, the regulatory process. It's not taught in medical school. It's so crazy. they, you know, doctors are so busy. They just say, well, here's the thing. There's FDA approved and FDA cleared. Yeah. Uh, nobody would think that, right? So the right. doctors, nobody. FDA cleared basically means it goes through one the process where it's not tested. For the most part, not tested. FDA approved, it's still not rigorous enough, but at least it's been tested with a you know a relatively decent test, right? A re- relatively decent study. Okay. Hmm. So you, you can say FDA cleared and everybody thinks, oh yeah, it's it's all good. That's like the worst wording. Like, why would you call it cleared? I mean, because I mean, the the FDA, in terms of the medical device, has been referred to as a captive industry. It's mm. it's mm. you know the medical device industry. It's it's huge. It's not quite as big as drugs, but it's getting bigger and bigger. And and it's really the future, if you think about it. You know, in yeah. fifty years, we'll all have medical devices implanted in us, right? Yeah. Right. Um, and that'll be a wild west. <laughs> yeah. God, bad now and robotic surgery and all well, those that, kind yeah. of things. Well, that Da Vinci machine. Yeah. Which is, you know, this incredible machine that does, you know, and you basically, the doctor sits there and it's almost like a video game and right. they use the arms to, to do the stuff. But they've maybe had two lessons. Yeah, yeah. I mean. And yeah. it's like, and then all of a sudden they're doing these surgeries. Right. And, and what's, what was so, I mean, so uh, it's, you know, the Da Vinci machine is right now, it's still the only really 
real kind of robotic surgery that's on the market. There's going to be more within the next five years. It's Untested mo- one? <laughs> Probably, yes. Because the way you get uh. through the test is all you have to prove is it's substantially similar to something else that's on the market, oh, right? Outrageous. Now, if that has been taken off the market, it still doesn't matter. Uh. Wow. <laughs> still, See, this, isn't that shocking? It, it ta- to me, it taps into sort of and this might be just a general comment that's unfair, the hubris of doctors thinking that... No, no, okay, I want to jump in here. The doctors don't know. They're victims here, too. (laughs) No, seriously, this... uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, 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 go ahead. But the doctors, they're so busy, they just get this just like we do, you know. Now, there are some doctors who are... You know, are designing these, and they know, and they're they're. I mean, we've we've shown you know that they're very in collusion with the medical device companies, and to some degree, there's certainly collusion with the FDA. But most doctors don't know. Gotcha. Yeah, it's not the doctors; it's the the companies and the FDA, which is a you know even, and this is true even under Democratic or Republican administrations. The medical device industry has so much power. Mm. So, so did you notice a change? Like, you, when your movies come out, usually there's some sort of sea change. Like, you know, when Invisible War came out, all of a sudden, you know, that's the government was trying to address it. The military is trying to address it. Right. Colleges, all of a sudden, they had to be a lot more like proactive about doing totally, something. Yeah. Even though I think everyone's far from really covering it well, but. I want, have you seen any difference now that your Bleeding Edge came out? Has there been any more scrutiny on the FDA? Oh, yeah. I mean, there was a you know medical device, Esure, a contraceptive device for women that was implanted that was just, oh. you know, there's tens of thousands. Those, those x-rays Horrible. of like a oh, yeah. six, because oh. if they put one in, it doesn't take, they'll just put another one in. Yeah, yeah well, the other one, one's just one, sitting there. There's like, I saw one uh, x-ray, there was like six of them yeah. sort of floating around in the uh, uterus. Or yeah. It was just crazy. <laughs> Horrible. Yeah. 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 And uh, so naturally, you can imagine that there's, you know, hundreds of thousands of women who have been negatively impacted by this. But when the film, one week before the film was premiered on Netflix, Bayer, who manufactured E-Shirt, pulled it off the market. So, uh, and then we focused on, um, you know, vaginal mesh, which is um, kind of a mesh that's implanted to sort of, once you go in and you do surgery... And well, it can be used in men and women, but it, we were focusing on vaginal mess. It's kind of to hold up the body, yeah. but it, there's all kinds of negative things. The body grows around it, over it, it migrates, it starts ripping the body apart from the Ugh. inside. It's scarring because it's it, scarring. there's a foreign, exactly. uh, foreign so material in there. A large part, a large, a very significant type of vaginal mesh was pulled off the market about three or four months after. Or well, six good. months, maybe after. Was our that film Johnson came and out. Johnson's product? Johnson and Johnson. Yeah. Oh my God, Johnson and Johnson. It's yeah. They just they never stop in terms of the hell hellish kind of products that they're putting out. Really, yeah. they're still yeah. cranking them out. Oh my God, they're oh. still getting oh. sued. I mean, hips, talcum powder. Well, for them, oh. it's like they're making yeah. billions and billions. And so, what's a few right. hundred million? We'll pay them out. Sue. Who cares? Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, that's, that's a petty cash. attitude. Yeah. So that was that was quite a film. I mean, I kind of went to medical school to do that. I, I read literally. I think I read a thousand medical studies. I now know. Wow. Now, when anybody has a procedure, it's like, I, that's what I thought of when I saw the movie. I said, "Boy, if I ever think of a hip replacement, I'm really gonna, you know." But anything now, anything, I mean, anything right? Yeah. It's like, okay, let me go on PubMed. Let me start pulling <laughs> sure. these things down. 
Well, okay. I tell anyone who's like, yeah, I'm going to go to the doctor to do this. I mean, watch Bleeding Edge first yeah. <laughs> before you do anything, whether it's an IUD, I don't care what it is. Whatever yeah. it's going in your body, watch this movie no, first. No, or whatever, any procedure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and that doesn't mean there aren't great procedures out right. there, right? I mean, my mom just, had how do you trust a, them? You know, a, a kind of a, a heart implant that was... That I've researched the hell out, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was, you know, you never know. There's always risk. But they, but the, the studies were showing it was substantially more positive, you know, oh, like okay. two to one. And she's 95. It's like, okay, we're going for it. Yeah. And, yeah. and it worked. And we had a great, oh, she had a great good. surgeon. That's great. But you, you, you can't trust the doctor to know. And, you, and some doctors, you know, they have a financial interest to do it. Or they've been trained and this is the way they do it. Mm-hmm. You, and that's true with any procedure. You, you have to... Because it, it is so often, whether it's, there's a medical device involved or not, and often there is, you know, something's going to go wrong, and you could have found out about it. And, and, right. and, and yeah. we're, we're not in a society where, where patients are educated. Patients right. go and go, I don't want to think about it. I just yeah. hope this is going to work. That is the absolute opposite way to approach it. Yeah. You yeah. have to think, holy shit, they're going to do something to my body. These people may not know what they're doing. They may be profiting from it and not care. Mm-hmm. I've got to do all the research. Stop researching the new computer or iPhone. Right. Research <laughs> yes. the new procedure. I was about scary. to say that, you know, I did. I just bought a new little stereo for my office, and I spent days <laughs> <Yeah>. researching, <laughs> exactly. you know. But, you know, when I go online, like, you's like, oh, I kind of have this weird, like, pain in the background. Oh, yeah. You read, like, it's cancer. Right. Your brain is falling out. Like, you, it, it's so horrific to do medical research online. And so then you go, well, do I know more? Does my doctor know more? So there's an intimidation factor of like, yeah, I can research it, but I feel like I, how do, who do I trust? But it's, yeah. it's natural. It's very your hard. Your head is natural to trust your doctor. Yeah, yeah. right. That's, you want to trust. And it's something new and exciting, and it's been proven, well, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Especially you if go, they're confident. You go, oh, oh yeah. well, this will yeah. be great. It'll be a quick turnaround. I'll be back on my feet. Well, new is that that should be a trigger. Right. Right. That's right. how they sell things, especially mm. in the medical device industry. It's innovative. Well, innovative means it really hasn't been used. Oh, that that's much. the code word. Yeah. Well, like the hip the hip replacement one that it's been around for thirty years, but they did this new one that right. had the cobalt. Right. So and much better. Was, and that was the one where it just sort of disintegrated exactly. in your oh. hip, and it's right. just like it caused all kinds of basic you know poison in your system. Exactly. And it, instead of just going with the old reliable that's been working fine. Yeah. They've tried something new. And you think, and I'm going to go with the most new high-tech, yeah. you know, and so you would be drawn into that. You want to be part of that. Yeah, I know you have to. Ugh. When you hear the word new, you, you, re- that, you have to stop for everything, mm. but you have to double stop. Yeah. And you can't, you can't say, I can't figure it out. You just, yeah. Yeah. this is, again, any procedure isn't just medical devices. It'll be one of the most important decisions of your life. Yeah. Mm. You know, it's going to be complicated. But <clears throat> if you just, you know, go on Mayo Clinic or even, and you just start reading, you, you, you know, you you, you know, you, we've all researched electronic devices. We, I don't know how, really how it works, right? <laughs> but we do deep dives deep into Amazon reviews. Yeah, seen it. They're out there. <laughs> yeah. that, from the, it's out there from, for, if it's, for most of these procedures, there's some information out mm-hmm. there. And particularly, and this is the other thing, just put in the procedure and problems. Oh, and if, yeah. If, you, if that starts coming up. If nothing comes up, then maybe you're going to be okay. But if it starts coming up, you start reading and, yeah. and spend those nights down the rabbit hole. We can do we can do that now. Years ago, and yes. before the internet, yeah. it was like you really trusted the your, your doctor with the black yeah. handbag, you know, or your right? your friend who had it done. You know, it's like well, yeah. my experience was right. It, it's word of mouth kind of stuff, yeah. but so, hopefully the 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 work in these films is leads people 
to want to research it more because not that you want to not that you want your film to scare people, but you kind of right. want your film to scare people. <laughs> oh yeah, no, oh. no. I think a, a fear of somebody putting something inside your body, cutting your body up, putting something that's a that's a healthy yeah, <laughs> that's a healthy fear. Yes, yes. yes. and you <laughs> should be concerned, and you should yeah. be you should use critical thinking and all those exactly. kind of things, and, and yeah. go to a few doctors probably. Yeah, and just yeah, no, check. any procedure get a second opinion. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just, just watch just, Bleeding Edge first. It's, Everyone, yeah. it's on. It's streaming on Netflix as yeah. all your films are streaming yeah. somewhere. Uh, well, most yeah, of them, most yeah. of them are on Amazon. Yeah. Amazon. Yeah. And they're, they're well get, worth watching. We're trying to get Hunting Ground back on Netflix, but ironically, <laughs> it was produced for the Weinstein Company. Oh, oh no. That's interesting. <laughs> that yeah. I mean, sometimes I wonder if, if uh, you know, if Harvey did that as kind of cover, actually. Mm, yeah. You know, it, I mean, it was greenlit in what 2013 i mean oh, there was yeah. still there was things were brewing you yeah. know uh, i mean really under the radar but well you saw that you know the lisa bloom um oh, yeah. document the letter to the two reporters and how they were talking about all the things he needed to do like set up a women in film and yes. right. and all these pro women things so the fact that he might be yeah. promoting that film would make sense because it is part of that you know cover but you know i look at it as like he did that but now that's out there so yeah. yay so, i mean yeah, yeah no i mean we had no idea and mm-hmm. yeah it was we're I mean, I mean, I never. I mean, I met him once, very briefly at a party. But I had, you know, he had nothing to do with greenlining. It was the, the exec um, at his company that, um, uh, you know, I had a long kind of relationship with, and he just said, "Okay, I want to go with this thing." So, but you met Harvey while he was dressed. I'm sure. Um, So uh, when your team is out there looking for stories, I don't know how you find the stories you want to cover. When do you know you found the one you really want? Like, do you get a feeling or do you see it forming in your head? Do you dream about it? Like, what what sets you off like, this is it. This is the one I'm going to do. Well, that's a, I mean, you know, the whole development process is is huge. I think for any uh, documentary filmmaker, I think it's even... I mean, for us, because our ambition is so high with the film, right? I mean, not only do we want to make an incredibly powerful cinematic experience, but we want to blow open something that people don't know and hopefully change things for the better. So, mm. um, so, so, and also making a documentary film takes, you know, several years and, and you're in it really deep. I mean, you know, I mean, things have changed financially to some degree for for documentary filmmakers, certainly, but it's... It's still, I, you know, it's a very intensely laborious art form. I think it's the most laborious art form there is out there. Really. Right. You know, so you have to be really, you know, make, make sure that's the right one. So we, you know, we, we're always scouring, you know, um, in all different kinds of ways to find, to find stories. When we do, often we start filming. Sometimes we just have a subject's friend film. Sometimes... We get a local filmmaker to start shooting just to see, well, how this story could happen. Mm. And mm. <laughs> fortunately, because of the kind of work we do, we have a lot of people who are kind of support us, not support us, but help help our development process in terms of uh, nonprofit money that comes mm-hmm. in. And so we're in a position to say, okay, this could could open up this whole territory that hasn't been covered. And and so this could be the subject, and this could be the story, and this could be the issue. So we start shooting it, and, you know, sometimes, you know, we'll shoot for a year, and then we'll just say we can't. I mean, oh. if we get good stuff, but we just say it's not, we're not going to make this film, you know. Wow. Yeah. I was wondering about that, if there's ever a time when you 
get really deep into something and you say this isn't happening Hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, quite. I mean, not all the time, but I mean, probably once a year. Huh. Oh, yeah. that must be awful. Well, well what, it's all, you know, it's just making art. Art yeah. is always yeah. about trying and, and you That's know, true. failing and trying again. You know, if you're not doing that, you're not making art. That's true. You know. Well, you know, the, the going back to this thing that Kathy and I were involved with, I, I felt like I noticed something. There was, you know, before, I'd always followed this. I grew up in the South and I'd you know, the whole devil worshiping right. satanic panic thing and the, right. you know, that hysteria. And we're I, talking about HBO's Paradise Lost. Paradise Lost right. films yes, yes. that Kathy yep. and I were involved right. with a little bit. But I, I remember a little. a little bit, but <laughs> <laughs> I remember feeling that after those films came out, I stopped hearing about devil worshipers. And I feel like, I don't know if that was a part of it or if, if it became a reference point for when talk, because you would hear it on Sally, Jesse, Raphael and... Geraldo. And Geraldo and Oprah and all these people would have guests on who claim to have been in a satanic cult. And, you know, I, we actually got in contact with people who said, I was the leader of a cult and I sacrificed so-and-so babies to... And I'm like, well, you need to call the police. <laughs> and then they would sort of disappear, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, why don't you report yourself if you killed babies? But then when the film Kirby's going to make a film about these people now. <laughs> right. I like, would have to try find them. But do you feel like? I, I mean, I felt like that those films, those Paradise Lost films, kind of stuck a pin in that idea. And if you ever were going to try to make the claim of devil worshippers were sacrificing children behind the car wash in Arkansas, you could refer to these films now. And well, it's not behind the car wash in Arkansas, and it's, it's not teenagers. It's very powerful people <laughs> right. who are doing this in, you know, Epstein. I mean, that's not exactly a devil worship. Well, that's true. Right. Yeah. So this is interesting because, yes, it was, it's obviously it's used to sell television shows. You yeah. Know? yeah. And, it, and, and, you know, suggesting that kids are doing this is Heavy metal absurd. fans. <laughs> Heavy metal. It's just so absurd. Yes. You know? I mean, it, you know, it's just a way of demonizing the youth, which is yeah. what always yeah. the older, powerful people do. Sure. I mean, look at global warming right now. It's just right. Who's fucking things up? Yeah, yeah. yeah. We, are. we are. We don't want to yes. fix it. No, no matter how much they complain. We're going to laugh right. at a sixteen-year-old sweet. But yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make fun it's, of Greta. It's, I mean, I've because we we push into these. I mean, we've interviewed. I mean, we've we're filming somebody who who had gone through this really intense uh, child abuse cult. I mean, it, mm. I, I'm not, I don't know how prevalent it is. I really don't know. Um, but it is out there, you mm. know. Um, and it is really, really, really dark. Again, I don't know how extensive it is, but it is out there, right? Yeah. Again, I mean... Um, so it's... Anyway, it's, I, I mean, I don't want to scare people because the reality yeah. is... Kirby, you know, that is exactly what you do. No, no, <laughs> you no, scare no, the no, hell out of people. I don't. I actually think children are, you know, maybe even a little overprotected now, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. it, you know, this. Mm-hmm. I mean, Helicopter you have to be. Parents. Where does the abuse yeah. come from? It comes from the family. Yeah, right? mostly, it's not yeah. the stranger. I don't. Exactly. The stranger danger is something that is used yeah. in yes. a reactionary sort of way. So right. I don't want to say that. I'm just saying that. But see, I think that's actually a good thing about Paradise Lost is. You know, the whole heavy metal, like, right. oh, this is horrible. These kids, they're, they're fucking kids. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> kids who, like, dress, like, with rock and roll T-shirts on and then right. just look like that, you right. know. And they're like, yeah. oh, they're so scary. And so also I, think, the- I think that was actually, and it's interesting you say that, I think that actually did change uh, in, in, in a way protected protected 
you know, mm-hmm. children and teenagers. Mm-hmm. But then you see other people, they find their other targets. After that no longer right. becomes an attractive target, then it becomes, you know, the libs or whatever. Well, no, it becomes, <laughs> you know, immigrants or it becomes immigrants gays. Or the gays. Exactly. It just keeps circulating. Yeah. I mean, you know, one after another after yeah. another. Yeah. yeah. And then it's always been in throughout it history. always will be. But it's interesting yeah. you brought Epstein when we were talking about devil worship and then go right to Epstein because when you heard, like, you think... Uh, you know, he, he got busted a little bit a long time ago and it sounded bad, you know, right. oh, yeah, a guy abusing girls. And then now when he got busted recently, it was so huge. Like the, the aspect of it seemed like one of those stories that you wouldn't want to believe because it was just too far fetched and it just sounded like a fantasy of like, yeah, you hate rich, rich people. But his stuff was, it really was like on the level of like devil worship. That was so unbelievably creepy. And that recent documentary about Michael Jackson. Yes. Right. Mm. That was pretty yeah. heavy. I mean, I... I, I what do you think of that? Say it, but... I thought it was yeah. really good. Yeah. 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 I've, I mean, I felt like... Well, yeah, I mean, I've always felt that way about Michael Jackson. I mean, And a lot of people have. I mean, it sounds weird, but it doesn't sound weird. It's like, didn't no. you guys think that was already... <laughs> when they show all the... Did you ever get... You know, because there was a lot of pushback on the Michael Jackson yeah. documentary because of, you know, of course, the Jackson estate... Have you ever gotten pushback like that on any of your films? Oh, Have they come out around. against you like it, that? It was yeah. like I, you know, I, I, I sort of got the trolling and fake news really oh, yeah, before really? before Trump. I mean, yeah, no. What happened was, you know, there was that University of Virginia case where this woman, who may or may not have been assaulted, certainly the reporting on the story, there were things that weren't true, you know, and it was. I mean, the reporter handled right. it wrong. I'm mm. sure the, uh, the yeah. if if she was assaulted or not, I, I, I can't even say. She didn't tell the truth to the reporter. They, she, the reporter didn't do her due diligence. No and taint they used that, that like the in 2014. Deal. They used that to deny yeah, you know, this whole thing right. was happening. That was, and, and it was like a few months before The Hunting Ground came out at Sundance. And I was like, oh, Jesus, I should have done it before. But actually what happened was is... The film came out, and and we, um, and um, it is it, it, interesting because um, ESPN was was covering was starting to have a division that was covering uh, 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 rape on on college campuses and linking it to athletes and everything like that. And when the UVA story broke, they shut their division down. Hmm. And when the tweets started coming out of Sundance about the hunting ground. Yeah. That's when they started back up again. Oh no, kidding! Mm. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, so, but, but the amount of blowback we got—I mean, we got long articles, you know, take, wow. trying to take apart our stories. They were, you know, I mean, they, you know, there was no substantiation to them. But you can write things right, and just, and, and so we were in in a real battle for a long, long time. I mean, we we came out on top, you know, but. Um, it was, you know, it was, it was really, you know, the whole fake news. I was, we were right in that for about a year. Wow. Yeah. I well, I think this is the chilling effect that a lot of victims have coming forward is that they yeah. just don't want to, no one wants to believe it, yeah, especially right. if it's like popular athlete that's right. being accused or, I mean, when, you know, they had the testimony for Kavanaugh and right. there were people who actually did not want to believe this woman. Yeah. And you're like, this is why. And everybody's yeah, like, exactly. well, if she was really, uh, you know, assaulted, why didn't she say anything? And I'm like, you obviously have not been assaulted as a woman. You're saying that. Right. So it's like nobody really wants to come clean about that a lot of times because it's shameful. They're afraid right. that they're going to get blowback. They're afraid they're going to get sued. They're afraid, you know, there's all kinds of reasons. And the fact that, you know, you would have a movie that obviously did their due diligence and still got the pushback on these victims, it's like, it's just people wonder why. 
Yeah. yeah. No, it's so yeah. true. It's outrageous. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Wow. <laughs> so you're you're looking for new targets now. <laughs> new subject. New subject. New, new issue. Yeah. Well, that, I think. I mean, all... we are very. We're really careful in terms of our. Uh, I mean, you know, for uh, the bleeding edge. I mean, we had mm-hmm. like a forty-page Google Doc of, of wow. fact-checking. I mean, mm-hmm. it would took m- months, literally. Right. I mean, um, I think it's very objective. All your films. Yeah. I yeah. mean, the, the, the truth is, you know, it's right. people. It's it's not like it's not skewed at all. Right. You have every opportunity to look at both sides. Right. And we're. You know? I mean, if something. I mean, and we really do. I mean, if the the last thing we want to do is accuse someone or some company or organization of any kind of crime or malfeasance if of they haven't not. done it. Right. I mean, of course not. You know, that would, I mean, not only journalistic would be a problem, but it'd just be horrible. It would yeah. be yeah. such an ethical breach, yeah. you know, yeah. that... Well, um, you can tell that you don't do that. And that's why the films yeah. are so compelling, because it, it, you just watch it and you kind of make your own decision. But right. That's, you know, that's, that's the way we, you do We try it. to do that. But, yeah, no, we are. I mean, we're, we're, we're actually kind of deep involved, deeply involved in a couple of series. Um, and, you know, the whole, the whole business has kind of shifted, which is interesting. Yeah. I mean, it's really shifted. When I first got in, there was, like, no money, yeah. which I thought, well, the downside is there's no money. <laughs> right. But the upside is nobody gives a shit about what you do. Right. <laughs> you get to do what you want. <laughs> exactly. And, and they don't That's care. Um, but now, of course, we've kind of established ourselves. So, I, you know, we don't. I, I really, I mean, I've had a tiny bit of, you know, networks, it, you know, a while ago, kind of trying to, you know, you know, insert their opinions. But for the most part, at this point, no. But it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it. There's, you know, there's pluses and minuses. I mean, the pluses is the audiences are wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's support. That's all great. But I do, you know. Um, I, I I have issues, some issues with the way that true crime has uh, t- mm. taken off. Now I know yeah. you know you're a huge fan, and I'm, a lot of people are, and and that's totally fine. It sounds weird to say true you know, true crime fan because you know right. it is horrible and tragic. No, but... no, 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 no. But it is human behavior, and of yeah. course there have been great art, great novels mm-hmm. done uh, you know about crime and you know horrible crimes forever. And yeah. it's so, not all that good though. But it's not good. <laughs> not all of it's good. But it's but that's the point. Is mm-hmm. there's a lot of really kind of trashy stuff being made. Oh, yeah. So trashy. Sometimes yeah. by actually pretty decent filmmakers. Mm-hmm. And this is interesting because what happened was when reality came, by, you know, programming and TV came, you know, broke out in the you know around 2000 or something. The, the TV executives tried to pull in the good documentary filmmakers, and they didn't go because it was so trashy. I mean, I think, you know, we all thought about how we could do it, but right. we, we just, it was oil and water for most people, right? right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there were, there's, there were a few good series, not very many, and but now, you know, 15 years later, 20 years later, this time, I think the, the TV industry has snared these good filmmakers yeah. because there's so much money and there's a, a certain, I don't know, there's not that much glamour, believe me. <laughs> the glamour but, of independent but filmmaking. But it's just yeah. like, it's, you know, it's interesting to have that, those resources to do this. Yeah. But, but I, I've, I've had some questions about this, you know, excessive focus on true crime. I actually yeah. think it's reactionary because I think it does a little bit mm-hmm. of the, you know, what happened in Paradise Lost where, yeah. You know, oh, these crimes, these people, you know, yeah. it scares people and stuff like that. Right. And I I would, you know, I mean, 
so I, you know, I don't think we should be completely celebrating this. I, and I think there isn't, I mean, one of the things, problems I have with the whole industry is, I mean, first of all, let's say the positive things about documentary. Um, documentary filmmakers are generally really wonderful people. You know, they're, they're honest, they're hardworking, um, they're caring. I mean, in general, I mean, everybody's... You know. We like the ones we know. <laughs> I know it's true though. Yeah, I mean, it's true. Know, I don't feel like I'm going to get stabbed in the back when right, you know. I, right. It just it's you supportive. Know, it's, it's actually as a, as a group of people, they're kind of sweet. Right. Really, they are. You know, in in general, right? right. Um, and uh, you know, they're committed. They're you know, kind of like journalists. They're not making them that much money, but they're really committed to their their work and all that. And um, you know, I th- I think it's a I think it's a really good thing, but. Um, there isn't, you know, coming out of art, the art world and art school where there's, you know, this real critical apparatus and, you know, there's a whole range of art from people painting, you know, some, you know beach paintings to, you know, this really refined, you know, intellectual kind of work. Mm-hmm. And the whole range should be made. I mean, I'm, I, but... There's critics that are analyzing it, evaluating it, and, and there's, a, there's a, a forum that doesn't exist in the documentary yeah, world quite the same way. Yeah. It's, um, I mean, there are a few critics, I th- but I think it's there just there just isn't the training, the analytical training. So you, as a filmmaker, are making things going into this, and there's not enough of a critical apparatus to say there is more in film. There is yeah. even more in television. I mean, if you read yeah. the way television is taken apart. Yeah. It's not. I mean, I think partially it's because people just love documentaries yeah. because they're not cynical. Right. They aren't cynical, and so much is cynical. So if you're a critic, you're just you want to support it, and that's yeah. great, and that's mm-hmm. great. But I would actually like to see, uh, you know, like let's look at this as a as an art form. Let's you know let's mm. kind of evaluate this, and so. There's, I don't know, probably will never happen. (laughs) Well, you know, but there are the ones that stand above, and you just wish more were like that. Like I thought, Joe Berlinger's Bundy documentary was had a lot of artful, you know, attention put to it. It's like very well produced, and he's a pro, just amazing. And then you know, Making a Murderer had that sort of you know gritty sort of you know sincerity. But then, you know, there's the super trashy ones that come out and they're just throwing footage at it and they're not really trying yeah. very hard. And then so when you see those special ones, you go, ah, oh, that's yeah. what we need more of. So yeah. it's encouraging that you say more of those good documentary filmmakers are coming into it because you want to see more thoughtful True well, crime. in the subject matter, maybe not coming yeah. into it. Maybe we can get a few more I, good I mean, true, I true actually, crime. I what I would like to see is filmmakers pushing back against that mm. and saying, no, you know, I don't want to make something that just sells because of crime. I want right. to take something apart. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I listened to Joe, your show with Joe. Right. And it was really interesting to me that he was doing that and he was doing the scripted version. Yeah. And so, so it becomes a project, yeah. which, you know, you look at Laura Poitras, you know, you look at mm-hmm. other films, you look at my work. I mean, it's a project. And that's mm-hmm. when it becomes interesting. I mean, he, right. he's, you know, he's worked in the issue of crime and false crime and stuff like this. Mm-hmm. So... This is his territory. Right. So he's anytime he goes into this, there's it's going to be a meditation, right? right. Yes. Um, but just somebody who's come, who might be a good filmmaker, and say, "Hey, here's a crime series." Oh, yeah. the, it, it, no, I would rather the filmmaker yeah. push back and say, "No, that's maybe just a little bit exploitative." I want to push in a different right. direction. Yeah. 
Oh, right. and that makes sense. You and know. so many films that, you know, it's a lot of times documentaries now we associate, associate them with a crime. The documentary right. is about a crime. But then some of my favorite ones, when I think about documentaries, one of the first ones that comes up with me and everybody is Grey Gardens. Right. And, you know, you know making a documentary about human behavior and right. just everyday yeah. life that right. just is so radically different from your own everyday life. Yeah. Or, like, or like Salesman, which yeah. is just is so, like, so yeah. affecting. And right. it's, yeah, it's yeah. just following these Bible salesmen. Right. <laughs> it's so incredible. Do you yeah. have some favorite documentaries that... You would pull that? Um, you know, I, there's some kind of obscure ones that certainly had an influence. Um, um, and just um, the, when the Emperor's Naked Army marches on, this was. Huh. I don't, do you know that film? I've, yeah. I don't know if I, I know the name of it, no. though. It's the. Yeah, this the, was this Japanese filmmaker who. Yeah. I mean, it was sort of. I mean, now it's not as. But at the time, it was just blew my mind. It was. He followed this guy who was this radical. Uh, anti-military um, individual in Japan who would throw shit at like, you know, the <laughs> military facade and get arrested and all that stuff. And he started investigating, uh, you know, I guess at, uh, during the end stages of the war in Japan, the, the Japanese troops didn't have um, enough to eat. And so we're, they were eating some of their own soldiers. Oh. I mean, not a lot. I mean, it wasn't like they were eating thousands, but it, it was happening. Mm-hmm. And and so he started trying to track this down and confront the people oh. who were do, who had done wow. that. And it was it was verite. Wow. And it wasn't... And, and wow. if you think in the U.S., I mean, we're sort of militaristic, but, you know, we also have a First Amendment. It's much more locked down in Japan around yeah. the wow. military. Sure. Mm-hmm. So oh, this, this guy was alone... And that that yeah. had a huge influence on me in terms of um, just you know the the idea of following an activist and where I mean that's one of the things I constantly look for is I look for activists mm. because mm. not only are they they're active they're great characters they're willing mm-hmm. to do oftentimes just about anything sometimes you have to hold them back <laughs> no you don't want that on camera that might hold back. put you in right. jail um, I can feel you being arrested but also right. they know their field. They know yeah. their field, and they yeah, say, "Okay, this is so." Um, but, but then to, you know, to find, and they're great characters because, you know, oftentimes actors, there's an interesting psychological thing that goes on that yeah. is, becomes really great. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as you know, this character study too. Right. So, um, so anyway, so there, that's that's a good that's one. one. I've always yeah. heard of that one, that. but I've never seen it. It's, oh, a, it's find one that's is always it on in, Netflix. <laughs> I doubt it. We'll have to find it. We have to find. Yeah, Netflix is not showing. It's not going to be showing that. (laughs) Three or four years ago, they had a much better library. Five years ago, I agree. And now it's. I mean, it's it's true crime central. Yeah, you can watch a thousand of those things, or even just plain crime scripted too. Yeah, 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 you can tell two minutes when it's a piece of shit. (laughs) <laughs> you really can. It's true. It's so you have no interest in scripted. You want to stick to documentary. Um, well, some of the things that we, you know, come across. I mean, you know, there's interest in making them, mm-hmm. but no, I, I, um, I think it's wilder, un- more unpredictable, That's uh, for sure. more exciting in the documentary. Yeah. I really do. That's I mean, good. it's. It's a journey. Um, you don't know it, where you're going to go. You do not know where you're going to go. <laughs> yeah, that's, well, you're yeah. good at it, and you have experience with it. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And also, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm able to, you know, I realized this with Twist of Faith. I, Twist of Faith, I thought, went in, I thought it was going to be a cycle. It was a psychological study, and I yeah. thought that's the way. But um, when it started going out, 
you know, there's this whole issue at that time even about statute of limitations being extended mm. for, for uh, people who had been abused by priests. Um, and, you know, 10, 20 years later, they finally are coming forward and they, they couldn't sue or there's mm. no criminal. Mm. And then state legislatures started using it. And, I, and then I said, oh, wow, I realized that, you know, I can choose a subject and actually really influence society in a way, you know, for the better. And um, so in some ways, you know, you have this potential and it's why well, walk away from it. Sure. Right. Sure. And, yeah. you know, there's, it's interesting because some people think, oh, it's just activist filmmaking or whatever. Um, and they think it's not, you know, they think it's a lower form. I mean, right. a lot of filmmakers actually think it's a, a, a lower form of the documentary art. Right. And for me, that just betrays a, a complete misunderstanding of what Absolutely. art is. Yeah. Yeah. First of all, art doesn't limit things or order things. That's, yeah, that's the, the one whole, thing. That's the and point I, of it. I, you know. <laughs> and secondly, believe me, going in and making a film about a situation where everything is locked down and the world sees it one way and, and you're following somebody trying to change it and it will explode and could come back mm. to you, that is risk. Yeah. And art is all about risk. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, people might say, well, you know, a pretty shot of some, like Man on Wire, a great film, but, you know, and there's a lot of great things about it, but it's not as out of control yeah. as, as other situations no, that you're in. True. And, uh, you know, Paradise Lost is a good example. And, um, and so this idea that there's this hierarchy, in, and I'm all for all kinds of films, by the way, all kinds of documentaries, whatever people want to do, I, I embrace. Except true crime. <laughs> well, except for the re, except for if it's reaction, if it has yeah. a reaction, I don't actually don't even care about the fact that it's true crime. I I mostly care, but in a, in a, I mean, I kind of care that good filmmakers are taking subject matter that they've they've had they had worked in better areas before. Right. But that's their choice. What I do care about is it's reactionary. It's mm-hmm. scaring. You know, it's yeah. how the Republicans yeah. have got elected. Yes, right? that's true. Yeah. So that's very true. if you do it, open it up, yeah. right? right. Yeah. Open it up. You that's know? a good point. So, um, so anyway, it's, it's a kind of a, a beef that I have that, <laughs> you know, that, that people are judging this, uh, this hierarchy when, in fact, it, it betray- I, I, they really don't understand what art is. They're applying right. an art hierarchy and... A, you don't do, you don't you know, do there's that. no hierarchy. Yeah. And B, you look at the risk. Yeah, right. You look yeah. at the project. You look at, is this somebody who's been working on it for 10 or 20 years? Right. It's like with Laura Poitras. You could say, oh, she got lucky. Eric Stone called him. No, what happened was she was in this world for 10 years. Yeah. And she was out there on the edge for 10 years mm-hmm. at least, maybe longer. Yeah. And that and that kind of great work comes out of a project and a commitment. Yeah, yeah. That's true. So what would you tell an aspiring documentary filmmaker about the business? <laughs> about the business? Like, how would you, would you, how would they navigate? Like, how would you tell someone just starting out, what should I do? Well, take a risk. Okay. That's what I would say. Take a risk. Don't, don't, don't be safe. I mean, don't, don't risk some, yourself physically. I mean, don't, <laughs> <laughs> you know. But, um, but no, seriously, I mean, mm-hmm. be, be ambitious. Be ambitious. Um, uh, and and uh, that's that's what I would say. And and um, I mean, if you want if you want to control ultimately your career, um, I would say uh, it's less about trying to get work initially. I mean, to get to get hired to do something, and it's more about developing what you want to do and finding out. And and so now, I mean, it, I mean, it's amazing how you know, capable young filmmakers are. I mean, they're, mm. they, they can shoot better than me, than I ever could. They could, I mean, not that I shoot, but I mean, these people have, 
skills that I never have had, right? <laughs> you know, and they can go out and make a film, you know, yeah. on their own. And it doesn't really matter what you shoot on. I've had so many people say, you're shooting on, a, you know, something that is not high quality enough. Nobody, I've, I've had so many times people say, nobody will buy that. Right. <laughs> That's, I now know that that's a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, Nobody's going to buy other, that. The, the important thing is, yeah, is to go out and, st- and if you think there's a project there that is, you know, that's complex that you can really dig in for a couple of years, you know, because you got to live with this stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Then start, start shooting early on, start cutting early on. You know, when you get something, show it to friends. You know, you know, it's really valuable to get friends and and just it's part just a creative process just start doing that and you know it can take five years before you even have a sense of what you want to do but if you do that you come into the business with a vision you know and then you know and then somebody's going to pay you a little bit of money to execute that but there it's to some degree executing your vision and you're going to get better and better and better at it as opposed to getting I mean, you have to get, you know, you have to work. So if you're a camera person, obviously you want to take those jobs and that's great. But as far as a, you know, producer, director, that's would be my advice. Wow. Excellent advice. Risk is always a good, that's good, good advice for any creative endeavor, I think. Well, that was, that was well, the good, I think, good final words. Yeah, I think this is a good place to say we could we could go on and on, we I could. think. And we would love to have you back on the show. <laughs> when Anytime your next you secret projects okay. come out. Because I think we have plenty more to talk about. <laughs> yeah, it's really to. cool. Thank you. Thank you, Kirby. Thank well, you so thank much. Thank you. This has been thank great. You. Yeah, it was yeah. a pleasure. We want to tell all of our all of our listeners to go out and track down every last one of Kirby Dick's films. Yes, and uh, and All watch them. All available on Amazon, right? Or most of most of them. They're streaming somewhere. Yeah, yeah. you'll and, find and them. The Bleeding Edge, with the, which uh, is on Netflix, is his latest, and it's uh, it's well worth watching. Yeah, yeah. it's That's all good story. stuff. It's all good work, it, and it's uh, it all stands up. You know, it, it's like you can. It's there's nothing dated about it. You know, I mean, a lot of times in topical kind of stories, you're like, okay, that's an old story, but no, you go back and. This is still relevant, you know. Yeah. All of these, all of these topics yeah. seem relevant still, even yeah. some more so than they were when yeah. they came out. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> thank so you for opening for, everyone's eyes. Yeah, thanks for a really thank you for this excellent <laughs> episode. <laughs> yeah. All thank right. you. All right. Take care, y'all. Bye. Bye, bye. Cinemando signing off.